Welcome to Full Rigor, a Florida true crime podcast. I'm your host, Karen Curtis. I am pleased to announce that tonight we will be making an arrest in the Seminole Heights murders. Community on edge with a serial killer roaming the streets, randomly shooting people. That's the topic of this episode of Full Rigor. It all happened in Seminole Heights. That's near Tampa, where a serial killer murdered four people. In October and November of 2017, all four victims were shot dead. It was seemingly random. The first victim was shot at about 12 p.m. on October 9th, 2017. He was waiting at a bus stop near Frierson Avenue in Seminole Heights. Now, this victim was identified as a 22-year-old Benjamin Mitchell, an African-American man, and he was the first known victim of the unidentified killer. He had left his home about a block away and was on his way to see his girlfriend. The next victim, Monica Caradet Hoffa. Now, she's a white 32-year-old female. On the morning of October 13th, a landscape crew was about to mow an overgrown field on New Orleans Avenue when they stumbled upon her body. Now, police believe she was either killed on October 11th or 12th. So the first killing was on the 9th, and then the second killing on the 11th or 12th. The first a black male, the second a white female. Police said that there was no clear connection between the murders of Hoffa and Mitchell. And her body was found a half mile from where Mitchell was killed. Then on October 13th, police deduced that the murders were indeed connected. Based on ballistic evidence showing bullets from both victims came from the same Glock handgun, a 9mm. So... They increased patrols in the area. They issued a statement to the public urging people, hey, don't walk alone at night. That's scary. And they did have some grainy security cam video of a man in a hoodie. But Tampa police had very few leads and no suspects at that point. Then another killing. This victim was in the wrong place at the wrong time by accident. Now, this victim was a 20-year-old Hispanic man, and he was shot dead at about 7.57 on October 19th. This was near Wilder Avenue. Anthony Niboa ended up in the area after taking the wrong bus home from work. He was walking toward the Route 9 bus when he was shot in the head and killed. He was left lying on the sidewalk. He was the oldest in the family of five kids and a child of Carmen Rodriguez and Kazmar Naiboa. He was born in the Bronx, New York, and moved to Florida when he was nine years old. Then on Halloween 2017, 50 police officers were stationed all over the Tampa Seminole Heights area. The then interim police chief and the Tampa mayor, Bob Buckhorn, were trying to ensure a safe night of trick-or-treating. Now, officers from the Florida Highway Patrol and Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office and Tampa officers were stationed throughout the community in cars and on horseback. There was also a $110,000 reward for information leading to the arrest of the person responsible for the murders. But nothing happened on Halloween night. The next murder didn't happen until November 14th at about 4.50 a.m. A 60-year-old man was crossing Nebraska Avenue when the suspect came up behind him and fatally shot him. He didn't know what hit him. The victim was identified as Ronald Felton. He was walking to the New Seasons Apostolic Ministries to meet the pastor to get ready to hand out food to families in need. He was going to feed the homeless. He had been a volunteer at the food bank for more than a decade. So this was an angel that walked the earth no more. Here's Felton's dad pleading with the killer to stop the bloodshed. There's been enough carnage. You have severely affected some families. 
And Tampa Mayor Bob Buckhorn, who was completely fed up with the spree killings and the terror it was causing his community, had some harsh words for the Tampa Police Department. Enough was enough. You guys go hunt him down and bring his head to me. Soon after that, a McDonald's manager in Ybor City, Delonda Walker, called police with an interesting tip. She said an employee handed her a bag and told her not to open it and just bury it somewhere, bury it deep where no one would accidentally find it, and then gave a suspicious story that he was leaving town for a while to see his dying mother, and the bag had to do with his mother's last wish. So he was hoping that strange, suspicious story would keep Walker from opening it up. He also instructed her to tell anyone who came asking for him that she hadn't seen him. He then collected his paycheck and turned in his uniform. The employee turned out to be the prime suspect, Howell Emanuel Trey Donaldson III. And on November 28, 2017, police arrested Donaldson. Now, in real time, detectives had crime scene investigators checking ballistics on the gun that was handed over to the McDonald's manager and cell phone records. Here is part of the interrogation of Donaldson on November 28th. I'm just trying to get out of here so I can go back to school. Okay. That's it. I mean, if you guys, I mean, I, I mean, I'll stay in here. You guys can escort me to the airport and I'll just have my father come pick up the car. So when Donaldson was first picked up by police, he seemed in a rush to get out of town and lead a virtuous life. Again, here's more from the interrogation. I hear you. I'm just trying to get my education. I just want to further my career. I just want to, just want to do good in the world. In the world. Well, here's his roommate. From school, Kyle. Kyle, tell me a little bit about Howell Trey Donaldson and what was he like as a roommate in New York? So yeah, Trey was very, very outgoing. He was very popular. He had a lot of friends. Definitely not someone who you would expect to be a serial killer. You know, he was on the basketball team. Just everyone kind of knew him. So it was really, really shocking and kind of sad and hurtful, you know, to see on the news one day that, you know, he's accused of killing, I believe it's what, five people, six four. people, four. Because yeah, he's just, again, just a very bright and outgoing personality. It's, it's kind of unbelievable to be honest with you so you can understand i mean here's this guy who's your friend all of a sudden it's blowing up all over the news that he's an alleged serial killer mind blown and so back to the interrogation after some small talk about basketball the detectives went in for the kill what do you know about what's going on there's a serial killer. Ooh, that's the first time anybody during the interrogation brought up those two words, serial killer. Well, the 24-year-old said he only knows about the case through what he was told at his Ebor McDonald's job. And then the detective said, hey, your cell phone gives you up. And he really didn't have an explanation for that. Um, probably just, I don't know. And then there's the murder weapon. Well, the gun that he handed to his manager at the McDonald's and told her not to look in the bag. Well, she did. And she called police. Here's how he reacted when they said they were testing the gun. Are you concerned about what that's going to reveal? Uh, to a certain extent, yes, sir. Then four hours into the interview, he's told the gun is a match. Is this the gun? Okay, you murdered those people. But Donaldson does not confess to anything. What started this? How did this ball start rolling? To the point where... You got my attention, man. You have the floor. I, I just... I, I really just... I, I just want to speak to my family. And there you have it. 
Detectives also asked him what kind of person would kill four strangers, and he answered, perhaps someone who just lost a loved one. He had apparently lost his aunt a couple years back. She passed from cancer. Donaldson then stated that the pistol belonged to him, but did not state whether or not he committed the killings. He just wanted to talk to his family. He didn't use the magic word, though, I want a lawyer. Donaldson was indicted on charges on December 7th, 2017. He pled not guilty to all charges five days later. He's now facing four separate trials on each murder. Prosecutors will try their best case first and seek the death penalty in hopes that Donaldson will roll over and plead guilty to the rest if he is found guilty. On January 23, 2018, Hillsborough State Attorney Andrew Warren announced that the state would seek the death penalty against Donaldson, who's fighting it. So what does Kyle think about his best friend, Trey, possibly facing the needle? He's a friend of yours, right? So he's possibly going to be put to death by the state of Florida if he's convicted of these four murders, which, by the way, were four people who were just randomly walking down the street alone in Tampa one night and they were shot. Uh, yeah, I mean, so I, I, I'm not a fan of the death penalty. Obviously, you know, if he's found guilty of these murders, then yeah, he definitely deserves to uh, spend the rest of his life in jail. But yeah, obviously, you know, being someone who did know him at one point in time, it, it sucks. It really does. But, you know, you can't kill people. I mean, yeah, if he's found guilty, then obviously he deserves to spend the rest of his life in jail. But yeah, like I said, it, it sucks because, you know, you have a personal connection with someone like that, you know, to kind of see them go down that road when it looked like, you know, they had a great thing going for them. So I don't know how much history you know about Trey, but um, he had a job with the New York Mets. He had a job, I believe, with, I think it was a marketing company. I'm not exactly sure, but he had, he, I know he had two jobs when we were in school and then just kind of see him go down this road. It's it's shocking. There's are, There are questions like, you know, how did it get to this? Well, I think he's feeling the same way you are because this is some sound of him talking to a relative while he's behind bars. Are you trying to keep your strength up? You're exercising a little bit? I'm so broken I can't. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Trey's having a very hard time behind bars. Here he is in the courtroom. Since I've been in there, I've become ill. Physically ill. He didn't elaborate exactly on what happened to him during his incarceration. You can only imagine. Some unfortunate things um, to happen to me. And um, since I've been in there, I've, I've become ill. I'm an ex-college athlete, and it's hard for me to stand right now. I'm 26 years old. I shouldn't be feeling like I'm 96 years old. But he stood and spoke for five minutes in court, seemingly without a problem. I I feel like, you know, if I'm in there much longer, that my my heart and my body won't won't be able to to last under what I've been enduring. In addition to Trey being behind bars, his parents were on house arrest for months because they wouldn't talk to prosecutors. Prosecutors wanted to know two things. Are you going to give your son an alibi and say he was with you during the murders, even though his phone says differently? That would create reasonable doubt. Also, were they aware of any mental or psychological defects that would mitigate a death sentence against their son? So his parents caved. They didn't meet prosecutors face to face. They gave written answers to their questions, and the state seemed satisfied with their answers. Here's the Hillsborough State Attorney, Andrew Warren. We're satisfied with their answers and that they provided the information to us that we had been seeking from the beginning, uh, which was to rule out any possible alibi defense uh, that they could have offered. Information had come out during the course of the investigation that they'd made statements to law enforcement about knowing their son's whereabouts at some of the times of the murders and this now allowed us to investigate that avenue and determine that they had no specific information about their son's whereabouts. 
And Ralph Fernandez is the family defense attorney. It's been very, very difficult, but, you know, they understand the seriousness of the situation and they have no ill will or hostility towards anybody as a result of this. And like I said, day one, their prayers still go out to the community at large, regardless of how they may feel about the innocence of their son. So what kind of evidence does the state have against Donaldson? Surveillance video from the murders of Mitchell and Felton showed a suspect wearing a hoodie that was apparently light colored, though detectives say the colors are misleading because dark colors often appear as light colors in infrared video. Furthermore, after Felton's murder, witnesses told police that the suspect was wearing all dark clothing. And at least one witness described the suspect as a black male with a light complexion and a thin build, estimated to be about six feet to six two inches tall. Trey is a pretty dark-skinned African-American, and he's a big kid. He played basketball and other sports. So here's Kyle, who knew Trey, and I'd like you to describe what did he look like? What was his physique like, uh, skin color, etc.? So, you know, he was dark-skinned, athletically built. He was on the basketball team, wore a lot of athletic gear, you know, like joggers, hoodies, um, just really comfortable clothing. How tall was he? Uh, he was about 5'11", 6 foot. Uh, he was a guard, point guard, so, you know, around 5'11", 6 foot. Did you ever look at the surveillance video, and did you recognize your friend? Uh, I mean, in my opinion, it, it's really hard to tell. I remember when that story first happened, and I saw the videos, the surveillance video, and I had no idea that it was somebody I knew, so no. Also, I mean, to know, I naturally never knew his name was Howell until all that came out. I just knew him as Trey. I thought Trey was short for something. Never knew his name was Howell until that all came out in the news. And then Tampa police have the McDonald's manager. Remember his boss, Delonda Walker, to whom he handed the gun that was inside of a paper salad bag before he went to cash his paycheck. You know, he was very trusting, but surprised before he got back. Walker notified a police officer who coincidentally was in the restaurant's parking lot. The officer called for backup and the police were waiting to arrest Donaldson by the time he returned. Let's just take a moment and think about if this kid had just quit his job at McDonald's and gone back to school in New York and maybe threw the gun into a lake somewhere instead of handing it over to his boss. Would we have ever suspected that he was the Seminole Heights serial killer? Probably not. Well, Donaldson consented to a search of his vehicle where Tampa police found clothes stained with what appeared to be blood, fitting the description from eyewitness accounts and as seen on security footage. They also discovered that his cell phone location data aligned with the date, time, and location of that provided in the security footage. So Tampa police claimed the ballistics show that Donaldson's Glock was used to commit all four murders and that shell casings matching the weapon were found at the scene of the crimes. So Donaldson's trial still has not begun, but he has been granted the defense motion to be tried for each murder separately. His defense attorney cited different circumstances surrounding each victim. And again, if found guilty, Donaldson could face the death penalty. He's currently fighting the death penalty. He's asking for life. Donaldson's defense attorney claims prosecutors failed to tell the grand jury about the aggravating factors that qualify this case for capital punishment. This defense attorney says the motion has no legal teeth. 
their motion is not rooted in law. There's nowhere in the law that requires a grand jury to find aggravating circumstances. And if this motion fails, then the only way Donaldson can avoid the death penalty is if prosecutors take it off the table. There is no legal basis at this point in time for a court to take death off the table. And that McDonald's manager who turned the gun over to police, Delonda Walker, she was given the $110,000 reward for providing information leading to the arrest of the alleged serial killer. Here's the Tampa police chief and the mayor. Let me be clear, she will receive all $110,000. That was the reward that was put up. She will receive every penny of that. But you also have to understand it came from multiple different people, different places, and it takes time to get the checks to her and the money to her. She will eventually get all of the money. This woman made the right choice. And today, we are a safer community because Ms. Walker did the right thing. She doesn't want any attention. If there was no reward, she would have made the same decision. She is what's right about this city and the people who live here. As for Donaldson, his lawyers will try to do everything they can to save his life. The judge has scheduled a hearing date on the death penalty matter for March 24th. Until then, I'll keep you updated on this case and, of course, all the other true crime happening in Florida. Be sure to check me out on Instagram at Full Rigger Podcast. And please download and subscribe to my podcast on any of the podcast platforms. And give me five stars if you liked it. That wraps up Full Rigger for this week. Thanks for listening.